0: So our teacher uh, for this week, uh, someone uh, most of you already know, uh, I'm going to tell you just a minute about him and then we'll welcome him up, Uh, it's Matthew McCarter, he's going to be teaching this morning, I'm really excited, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is the communications director at Alaska Bible Institute at ABI. They came up about uh, four years ago, but he's been full-time with ABI officially for just a little over three years. Um, He also is the missions director uh, for the missions team for Church on the Rock. Uh, Him and his family uh, give in so many ways that it is hard to count all of them. And so I'm really thankful that we get to receive yet another wonderful thing from his family through him speaking today. So why don't you guys go ahead and give it up for uh, Matt McCarter. Hey. All right, I'll pray for you. And then you can kick it off. Thanks. Jesus, I thank you for uh, Matt. I thank you for what you've put on his heart. I ask that you would help him to clearly articulate the things you've put on his heart. Um, And I ask that you would uh, make the word uh, come alive this morning as he shares um, the stories of your faithfulness. Uh, of your miracles, and what you've done, uh, not just uh, through the cross, Lord, but what you continue to do today and what you are doing in your kingdom for the future. I thank you that we get to be a part of that and that uh, Matt gets to expound that uh, today, this morning for us. So Spirit, would you be with us as Matt speaks? Enable us to hear your voice this morning, that our hearts would be sensitive. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, that we have it, that you have brought it to us. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I'm really glad that uh, I didn't leave my coffee up here, because it would have gone all over the place. Good morning, Church on the Rock. You look really good today. Beautiful. Your New Year's resolutions are kicking in. Joey's lost another 10 pounds. Uh -uh. Where is he? I can barely see him. Uh -uh. Uh, I want to tell you a a quick secret. Uh, Do you want to know how to embarrass a wiser? Uh, You stand them up in front of a large crowd and you give them a bunch of praise. And the older a wiser is, and the bigger the crowd, the more they will squirm. Uh, I say that to say that I'm very thankful for this church and not just the pastors and the leadership, the staff... But the volunteers, the board, the elders, uh, this is something that we should praise Jesus over that we get to be a part of this and not just meeting here, but the influence that we have in our community uh, all over the world. Uh, It's actually a blessing to me and my family. Uh, So at the end of the uh, the summer, Aaron came to me and he said, uh, we're going to change up the Sunday Connections. And we're actually going to uh, start having chapel, men and women's chapel, and then youth group and all that stuff. Uh, and so he asked me to, to preach uh, at the chapel, and I felt like the Lord had given me a message for that time, and it was on the topic of hell. And I thought, there's only going to be one of two outcomes that happens from me delivering this message to, to, to the guys. Uh, either they never ask to come back, or they kick me out right there turns out if you talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about, they put you on the main stage. And so here we are. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about uh, Jesus and his reactions to certain situations in the final days of his life. We talked about his reactions to Gethsemane. We talked about the lack of his reactions on trial. And today, I have the pleasure of talking to you about his time of being forsaken, his time of all of his peers departing from him, and the time when they drive the nails through his hands and his feet. What's on his mind? What's he going through? I believe that Scripture tells us what he's thinking and what he's going through. So in order for us to really understand how much he's forsaken, we can't start near the cross. We actually have to back up to, when, to a time when things were going really well for him, a time where most church leaders in America would say, this is, the, this is the season of ministry where everything is going really well. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm here to do. I'm going to come to John chapter 6. It's one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, but it's not my favorite chapter in Scripture because of all the miracles that Jesus does within it. It's actually really famous for him feeding the 5,000, right? This amazing miracle. Jesus is sitting in the countryside with his disciples, and he sees this group of people, this mob of people coming to him. And he looks to his disciple Philip and he says, let's feed them. And Philip says, "Uh, what? How are we gonna feed all those people? There's no way. So they find a, a little boy with two loaves and two fish. And he says, I'll pray over that and feed the people. He blesses them with a meal shortly after that he retreats to solitude as he so often does and his disciples set out across the sea and within just a short period of time says only four or five miles they are swept up in a storm and Jesus sees them and walks across water Another amazing miracle, another reason to love John chapter 6, right? And then right after that, it says that they were immediately on the shore. So he teleports the boat to the land. I'm not making it up. It's in here, right? You got to deal with what this is, not me saying it. So really awesome way to start a chapter of Scripture, Three huge miracles, feeding 5,000, walking on the water, and then teleportation to boot. But then he continues in John chapter 6, verse 25 through 28. He says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. The crowd has a reaction. It says, What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus' response is very simple, very to the point. One word believe. Believe in me. That's all you need to do. And then the crowd, having been fed the day before, seeks him. And says, What sign will you do in order for us to believe? See, he already knew that they were coming for the food, not for him. They start to mention that their fathers around Moses' time had eaten their fill of manna from heaven... And they say, Give me some of that. Even though the story in the Old Testament is they ate so much of the manna that they were sick of it and complained, right? It's at this very moment that Jesus' response really inspires me. How does he not just lose his mind? But just as Jesus does, he weaves the conversation back to his mission. He's about to split the group. He's about to test them. Are you here for food? Or are you here to worship me? He cuts to the chase and he says, if you're really hungry, I have food that will last you forever. I have food that will last you for an eternity In just a couple days, I'm going to serve a meal that will sustain you forever. The meal is my blood and my flesh. His blood, his flesh. And Jesus, with one statement, divides the crowd. And he says, my mission is not to fill your stomachs but to reconcile your soul. At that very moment, this large crowd that has gathered around him divides. It says that this is the first time that his disciples actually leave. A group of his disciples walk away. And then he turns to the 12 and he says, well, you leave too. And their response is, where else are we gonna go? From this point forward, Jesus is increasingly forsaken. In a short while, Judas will go to the high priest and he will negotiate his wages for turning over Jesus. As he's arrested, the majority of the 12 disciples will depart will run away in fear, and there's only one remaining. He's only remaining because the rooster hasn't crowed yet. He goes from an object of affection and wonder to one of abuse and torment, alone with only men who seek to kill him, Forsaken, abandoned, zero advocates to fight for his cause. How many of you feel like that? Can I be honest with you? There are plenty of times where I walk into rooms full of people who I know care for me, family, friends... And I struggle to believe that they actually care for me. I struggle to know that they are for me. Can you imagine what's happening to Jesus in this moment? Maybe it's the first day of school. Maybe it's moving into a new town, starting a new job. Maybe it's walking into your own home after you've had a fight with your spouse. And in that moment, what's happening is a war is waging in my mind over what the truth is. Do they really care? Am I alone? I can guarantee you that in this moment, there is a war going on in Jesus' mind. I can't believe that there's anything but that happening and that he's fighting for the truth. The scripture says that the words that come out of our mouths reveal what's in our hearts. Jesus is known very much so for his parables weaving these stories together to communicate truth recorded throughout all of the gospels and they are filled they're filled with meaning for our lives the communication of the truth that he's come for us to reconcile us to god and i have no doubt that when he makes the statements on the cross and leading up to the cross that they're filled with meaning for us too that he's trying to communicate something very purposefully and so today i want to examine each one of those seven statements that he makes leading up to the cross and hanging on the cross jesus is referred to in john chapter one as the word of god and i don't think that's a mistake if anybody can use language to communicate it's him because he created it. And so the first statement, as, as Jesus is, approaches Golgotha, he's actually given up his cross. Simon the serene is, is carrying it. He's, he's bloody. He's beaten. You all have images from Passion of the Christ moving through your mind right now, right? Well, he stops in the middle of a crowd, and he sees women crying, and he is quoted as saying daughters of jerusalem weep for yourselves and for your children say what you put your put yourself in their place you're a woman in jerusalem standing watching this man bloodied beaten he can't he doesn't have the strength to carry his cross he says, cry for yourselves. What on earth is he talking about? You are the one that I should be crying for. It makes absolutely no sense unless you go back to the prophecy of this very moment. Zechariah 12.10 says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look... On me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And then Zechariah 13.1 says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse Them from sin. Jesus looks at the women and says, Pay attention to what's about to happen. And then Mark records, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And John says, I thirst. Jesus, looking out onto the crowd, sees that there are many Pharisees and religious leaders who are looking at him, watching his moments, waiting for him to die, because that's their objective. And he quotes something. He quotes something that they would know, because they have Scripture memorized. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me, is the first sentence in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is written over a thousand years before this very moment, and yet it includes details of this very scene, describing it with great accuracy. I'll read a portion of it to you. Psalms 22 14 through 18, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Did you catch the I thirst portion of that? My tongue sticks to my jaw. He says to the Pharisees, weigh the scriptures against this very moment and tell me what is true about me because I've been saying it to you for a very long time. And then he looks again into the crowd and John is there. Mary is there. His mother is there. And he says, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciples took her into his own home. Growing up in the South, you always got to address your mom, right? And at first glance, you think he's just trying to comfort her. And the disciple, the one that he loves the most, right? But there's another time when he says, when he addresses his mother in this manner. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. My hour is not here. And then you get to John chapter 16, and he says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home And will leave me alone yet I am not alone for the father is with me these statements impacted John so much so that he records Jesus is talking about his hour seven more times Jesus says to his mother behold this is my hour it's why I've come And then he says something that I don't think any other man could without the Spirit of God. He looks down on those who have pierced him and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think it was in 2018 when we had the big earthquake, right? I remember it very vividly because Maranatha was in Oklahoma at her sister's wedding, and I was trying to put a diaper on our daughter, and I'm thinking, why now? Why are the blinds swinging out against, away from the window? Why is the ceiling fan hitting the ceiling? It shouldn't do that. And I'm trying to gather them in the, in the, uh, the doorway so we don't get smashed if the building comes down. And then the flood of text and phone calls comes mainly from my family back home, terrified, right? What's happening? Got to check on my baby. <clears throat> and my aunt begins this crusade of this is why you need to move back to South Carolina. There are earthquakes there. What's wrong with you? And so we start to go through this list of things that could kill you in, in either state. South Carolina versus Alaska. And Alaska has earthquakes, bears, mooses, really cold weather, right? And uh, I start to argue that I'm more likely to die in South Carolina because uh, there's a lot of heat there, right? There's venomous snakes and spiders and alligators, uh, all with the ability to kill me. And then, uh, just a, a few months ago, you guys all heard about the guy on Diamond Ridge getting attacked by the grizzly bear. And I'm thinking, please don't let her see that. <laughs> it's just going to be another argue argument over it. But Diamond Ridge isn't that far away, right? I mean, from ABI, it's, it's not that far away. And I start asking people in our community, like, are you guys scared of this? The, I mean, grizzly bear just attacked somebody, like... I'm staying in the house. Every time I walk out the door, I'm like peeking around the corner. Grizzly bear here? No? All right, let's go. You let the kids out of the house. You're thinking, ah, I'm not really sure this is a good idea. Leave, leave all the windows and the doors open so you can hear the scream of them dying. <laughs> and every time I let them out, this 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 Im- these images go through my mind. And I think I'm going to hear my son scream. I'm going to run to the kitchen and grab a knife and jump off the back deck, which is two stories and do a Dwayne, the rock Johnson roll on the ground and then slaughter this bear. And then I come to father forgive them for they know not what they do. And I get done with my, my, the rock somersault, right? And As I look and my son says to me, as he sticks his head in the bear's mouth, Father, forgive the bear. He just doesn't know what he's doing. What? What? No way. I'm killing this bear. As Jesus hangs from the cross, he prays for you. He prays for the Roman soldier standing at his feet. Father, forgive them. He doesn't know what he's doing. Isaiah fifty three twelve says, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In the very moment, he is keen on achieving the mission that he's come for, which is salvation for you and I. And as he prays, it's almost as if someone is listening and able to answer his prayer. And the thief behind him says, I'll have some of the flesh and some of the blood. I'll take some of that forgiveness. And he says, today you will be with me in heaven. He hangs on the cross and he is actively accomplishing the mission that he sent for. Here's another one. That will join me in heaven. And then he says, It is done. What's done? Psalm 22, the last four verses. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Salvation has come, redemption has come. And then he gives up his spirit. The cross doesn't begin on Golgotha. It doesn't begin with a Roman soldier. It doesn't begin with a Roman nation. In fact, it doesn't even begin with mankind. It starts before Jesus has uttered a word over creation. And he says, I will die for them. For one stone is laid. And then he gives us this book. And the same communication goes throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God the Father uses two words. I will. The fall occurs. Genesis chapter 3. They sin and disobey and eat of the fruit. God walks with them, and then he starts to dole out the curses for disobedience. And when he's speaking to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's right there in Genesis 3. The first mention of what's to come. An offspring. One who is able to overcome. And then he speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking about his descendant. He's going to send someone through the line of Abraham in order to achieve something. I will. And then he says to Moses, go and tell my people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, I will. And then he keeps saying it throughout scripture. Isaiah, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. And then John the Baptist comes along and he starts to chant the same exact phrase. From the wilderness Repent And then a new guy steps on the scene And the phrase changes From I will To I am And John is paying attention Seven phrases recorded in John I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus comes to the cross, and with every recorded word, he says, this is, is my hour this is my hour my death on a cross is why I've come are you paying attention are you listening to the words are you weighing the scripture against this very moment I've come to save you. I've come to give you true food. My flesh and my blood. Are you going to take it? Will you eat of it? Maybe you've never responded to the cross. Maybe you've put it off. I'll handle that later. Can I I tell you something? If you have heard the gospel of the message, you have to respond. It's a yes or no question. There's not a maybe. And as Jesus tells this group of people that he's just fed, you see the two options. You're either going to receive it or reject it. But what I'm saying to you now is receive from the Lord. For he has done a great and mighty work for you In order to bring you and reconcile you to the Father And if you want to do that It's very easy to start From the depths of your soul The bottom of your heart What you say is Yes, Jesus I'll take some of that I accept your forgiveness I want to walk with you And if in the bottom of your heart with the depths of your soul, that's what's happening right now, I would encourage you to tell someone, walk over to this corner and have people pray for you during worship. But maybe for the majority of us, we've done that a long time ago. Years ago, maybe. Decades ago. Invite the worship team to come up. Maybe it's been like half a century since you made that decision, since you sought him. What I want you to do in this moment Is the same exact response as if you never had and say yes Jesus I want you see the cross is not for just the lost and the ones who are far off it's at the very center of our faith I want to invite you to behold your Savior your King bloody and dying on a cross. Come and receive from him. Be renewed. Be refreshed. Be made more holy as he is holy. It is a joy to look on him. To be moved by the gospel. By his death on a cross. I'll leave you with this. Shockingly, it comes from Psalm 22. Verses 22 and 23. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, Jesus on a cross. I would invite you to stand as we worship, there is communion all around the room, a chance for you to eat the flesh and blood of Christ. There are receptacles for you to give in response. But most of all, respond to the gospel, no matter where you are. If you've never said yes, or if you said yes a century ago, half a century ago, Respond to the cross in the same way. In awe of him who gave everything. Amen.
0: Uh, In following Jesus so often, after a very short amount of time, we can find ourselves in situations where we love Jesus and he has our heart. But still there's some areas, whether it's serving or loving someone difficult in our life or receiving forgiveness from God there's a, on the whole we'd say oh the gospel is fantastic news it is good news, it's the gospel and yet there's areas of our life that uh, if examined closely we would find actually we've closed off access to God speaking into uh, God having his say not just as savior but also as king and so your invitation this morning uh, after uh, Matt's uh, teaching is to examine your heart and ask that question, Lord, do you have access to all of my heart? Have I given you my yes to every area that you have called me to? Because when you follow Jesus, yes, you sacrifice something, but what you gain far far outmeasures anything you would ever give up. So today is the day, and now is the time.